Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Gay. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological African Storytime Sessions, which take place every Friday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. in the Mythological African Twitter space. In this episode, we'll explore folklore from the Ila people of Zambia. So hello everyone and welcome to this evening session of Let's Talk African Mythology and Folklore. Today we are with the Ila people who are found in Zambia. And we have previously visited with the, the Ila people and you know, read some of their folklore. Um, but today we are going to continue reading these stories. Um, I have three stories that I would like us to read. And they focus quite a bit on conflict and, you know, tensions that will arise between people, justice, how it's administered, whether it's, you know, karma, so to speak, or, you know, a, a more systematic process. But this, these stories, I think, give um, give insight into the Ewa people's sense of what is right and what is wrong. And that's, it's always interesting to see how, you know, approaches to morality have changed over time. Um, so we have these three stories that we're going to read today. And since we have some people in the room who are new, uh, what we do is we read the story and then we open up the floor for discussion, questions, thoughts, comments. And what I'm usually looking for, first and foremost, is if anything about the story sounds familiar, especially if you're from another part of the world, another African country, do you know of a similar story um, from your culture or background? I'm always very interested to hear that. But also if anything stands out to you, right, if any themes you know, strike you, if you have any thoughts or questions, um, I'm also interested to hear that. And then we'll read the next story and repeat the process until we run out of time. And these sessions usually take about one hour. So really happy that you're all here, you're all healthy, sound mind. You know, it's challenging out there these days with everything going on. But I am so glad that we, we get together and, and, you know, just tell stories and feel good. So we are going to get started. Um, but before we do that, just want to check in. Everybody doing okay? Any questions before we start? Anything that anyone is uncomfortable with before we get going? Otherwise, we're going to jump right into the stories. Looking good. I see you, Sanjeta. I see you, Laura. Okay, all right. Everyone's feeling good? Good. So we're going to get started with our first story for the evening, right? And it's called The Explanation for the Origin of Murder. If you're reading along in the book, it's on page 350. The Explanation of the Origin of Murder A woman had a child. One day, she went to work in the fields. When she was going to her work, the child cried. When it stopped crying, she suckled it, and when she had finished suckling it, she laid it down in the shade. Then she went on hoeing. And once again, the child cried, and a bird, an eagle, came and sat upon it. It soothed the child with its wings. Then the child, which was crying, became silent, 
When she saw this, the woman was greatly alarmed. Dear me, she said, I am amazed. Is the eagle eating my child? When she went towards it, the eagle flew away and she suckled her child. When she was done suckling, she put the child on her back and finished hoeing and left off work and returned to the village. On her arrival there, she did not tell her husband the marvel she had seen, but kept it to herself. Next morning, once again, the woman went to work in the field with her child, and the same thing happened. She laid the child down to sleep in the shade. After a time, the child cried. Then she beheld the eagle come onto the child and quieten it. The woman was again amazed and said, What is that eagle doing? It is sitting upon my child, but it neither bites nor scratches it. And then the child is quiet. Truly an astounding thing. And once again the woman went to her child, and the eagle saw her coming and flew off and went to sit on a tree. The woman took her child and was greatly alarmed. She returned to the village and on her arrival told her husband about it, saying, A great marvel. What about? Her husband answered. Today, the woman said, is the second day I have seen the thing where I hold. This I did. I put my child to sleep in the shade. And as soon as it cried, an eagle came and sat on its, sat on its, and on its arrival, stooped over its body and soothed it with its wings. Today is the second day that I have seen that bird act thus. It's the eagle. No, you are lying, the husband refused. There never was such a thing. And so the wife said no more. In the afternoon, she took her hoe and went late to work in the field. On her arrival, she laid her child in the shade. The child cried. And so the woman thought, now I will go and call my husband who disputed my word and said I lied. So the woman ran. When she arrived where her husband was, she said, come on, it is you who disputed saying that there was never such a thing. Let us go now and see. The man took his bow and three arrows. On his arrival, the woman told him, saying, sit here. I'll put the child to sleep in the shade yonder, and then when you see the bird coming, hide yourself. The woman left the child and went away some distance, and the man hid himself. Then the child cried very loudly, and as he was watching, he saw the eagle come and sit upon the child. Then the man was greatly alarmed and charged his bow with two arrows that he might pierce the eagle sitting on the child. And when he shot, but at the moment of shooting, the eagle dodged and both arrows pierced his child. Now that is the explanation of the origin of murder. The eagle was a kind person. Nevertheless, the father of the child wished to kill it. And so the eagle cursed him, saying, Now is kindness amongst men at an end. Because you killed your child, beginning with you and going on to all people, you shall kill each other. And to this day, people kill each other. Any thoughts on this story, friends? Just taking a quick moment. I know a story like this with a monkey in it. So I'm going to poke around and see if I can find it and share it in just a few minutes. Great, Laura. Is it... Uh possibly in the Grenfell and the Congo collection by H.H. H. Johnston, because there is a note in the story here which says it's similar to a story from the Lokele people in the Congo. So Ooh, we'll find out in a few minutes. That's great. Let me check and see. All right, cool. And that's, that's just the best thing about these sessions, right? Because you find out that there are parallels to, to stories like this in other African cultures and other parts of the world. Um, it's 
yeah, but thoughts, questions, reactions, you know. And you can just unmute yourself and speak, or if you want to raise your hand, just to be sure that works as well. Um, I was I was reading this and thinking, you know, the only other account of murder that I can think about comes from the biblical story of Cain and Abel. Um, you know, of how this that whole you know thing started. But what what I find interesting here is that. You know the ego is described almost in you know it's anthropomorphized pretty pretty clearly as a, a being a kind being, which um, its kindness was returned for you know treachery in a sense, um, and it is because of this that humans now have this you know the evil of murder in in our midst, and I I thought that was pretty pretty interesting. Laura, you found it. Yes, I did, and you were exactly right. So yay for the footnote in the old book, right? Um, I, I have one of my little hundred-word story versions, so I'll go ahead and read it because yes. it's very short. Okay. The woman who went fishing. A woman put her baby on the riverbank while she fished. The baby started crying. Then an ape came and cradled the child. The mother screamed. But the ape said, don't be afraid, handing the baby to her. The woman's husband wanted to see this ape, so he went with her to the river and hid. Again, the ape came and cradled the child. The man hurled his spear at the ape, but he hit the baby instead. You have killed your own, groaned the ape, as she placed the dead child on the ground and retreated into the forest. And that, that is a story from the Congo, just like Helen was saying and from the footnote to the book she's using. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you so much. Um, there is, as um, Alicia just messaged, there is a lot to unpack in this story, right? Um, there is the fact of human interactions with the animal world and that presumption of you know, bad intent. Um, basically not understanding that sometimes animals have the same protective instincts, the same curiosity as we do. Um, I, I don't know if there are any pet owners in the room, but if you watch some of the videos that, that people will share about their dogs and their children or their cats and their children, um, it's almost like the understanding that animals have this sense of, of, of you know, babies and that they, they can and should be protected. Um, and then to violate that in, in, in that way, you know, it's, it's almost, it's, interesting to see that noticed and commented upon um, in the story but also that you know there are parallels in different different cultures that that always strikes me as, as interesting because it, it seems it, it seems like people have a sense of these things and find ways to express them um, in different stories but otherwise any other reactions to this um, if you if you don't have the ability to speak, just raise your hand or something and I can unmute you. Um, if there is no other commentary, we'll move on to the next story. I was just going to jump in and say this theme of who's going to watch the baby mm -hmm. while the mother is working comes up in cultures all over the world. And, and sometimes the stories really put the blame on the mother. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, a, a famous story from India about a, a woman who leaves the baby at home alone in the care of a mongoose 
and the mongoose kills a snake that's come to attack the baby, but it's got blood on its mouth. So they think the mongoose killed the baby. Anyway, the, the upshot of that story is that the woman gets beaten for mm. having misbehaved. Whereas in these African stories, it seems the fault is very much on the, the husband for intervening in a situation mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. the mom was doing great. She was doing her work. Someone was taking care of the baby in this beautiful, supernatural way. But it's the father who comes in and, and disrupts things in a truly horrible way. You know, listening to you speak, Laura, about how in one context, you know, it's almost a... a an aspersion cast on the woman for, you know, neglecting her motherly duties. Meanwhile, in another context, it is an aspersion cast on the, the father for, you know, not even having a sense of what the mother knows and what she thinks, what she, 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 what, what she knows can happen, you know, between the environment that she's in and children. It's it sometimes, well, not sometimes, it, it's making me think about in modern times and uh, Fatih, I see you, we'll come to you in just a bit here. Um, the, the idea that, so many people have so many opinions and thoughts on what it takes to raise a child, um, many of whom just really don't know what they're talking about, you know, and often it is the direct caregivers who have a sense of what, you know, what, what is going on and the conditions under which the child would thrive. And so it's just, it's interesting to see that, you know, the more things change, the more they remain the same, almost. Um, Fatih, go ahead. Okay, um, so what I wanted to say was, like, the story um, Laura mentioned, I've heard of a similar story, but it was a dog that killed the snake, and it was the father that was, like, with the kid, like, the kid was, with, didn't have a mother, as far as I remember, like, there was a baby, and the mother died in childbirth, like, I know a story like that that I heard growing up. Interesting, interesting. Yes, I can. There's a, a collection, a wonderful collection of these stories that shows how it changes from being a father and mother in the ancient Indian story, and then it, it moves through the Middle East into Europe. And that's exactly right. The European versions, it's a single father who messes up and then regrets terribly what he did. But I'll share that at, at Twitter afterwards. I'm so excited that someone else has heard that story, too. No, this is, this is great. This is great. And I, I wonder if the different versions of the story... Um, emerge reflecting the people's, you know, values and priorities. So you have, in this one case, the mother taking the blame, you know, in the, in the Indian version. And then in the European version, it sounds like just a hapless man who doesn't know what to do with the kid or understand, you know, how things work. And then in the African versions, you have, you know, the woman who has a sense of, okay, this, this is what is possible, and the man who is the hapless one in this case. Um, but it, it, it strikes me almost as a situation where the story is adapting itself to, to speak to what the people value, or what they, they think people should be prioritizing, which is what stories do when it comes down to it. Um, they inform our world in the way that we, we, we is meaningful to us, and that those are the stories that we will tell. Um, so thank you, Laura. Thank you, Fatih. Um, this, this is my favorite part of these sessions, right? When, you know, we read one story and then we get corollaries in different cultures and how, you know, they approached it because it underscores, you know, the, the belief I have and the, the philosophy with which I approach mythological Africans, the idea that for all the things that divide us, stories, myths, folklore, is where we can really go to see the 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 oneness, you know, not sameness you know, in the sense that there is no distinction but the the 
the ways that we are connected to each other, the human experiences we have across the board, which, you know, really, really speak to the fact that we we are, you know, on this planet, all of us together and across time and space, our experiences have been similar. And that's something to pay attention to, something to celebrate, you know, when we can or examine and use as ground grounding for growth in, in other circumstances. So any other questions, thoughts, comments? Otherwise, we are going to move on to the second story. All right, sounds like we're ready to move on. And um, if you were not here when we started, the theme today is justice and conflict. So I should probably throw in a content warning there. There is, you know, murder and stuff coming up. Just keep that in mind, okay? If that's not stuff that you can stomach right now, then maybe maybe this is not the session you want to join, right? We have fun in other ways, right? But this, this session, the stories I've selected are kind of geared in that direction. So, all right, let us do our second story. The second story is the story of the man and the mushrooms. There was once a great famine in the land and many people were dying with hunger. A certain woman found some mushrooms and filled her pot with them and water. The husband was looking on and noticed that the pot was quite full when it was put on the fire to boil. So he went out and on his return shortly after the woman, and on his return shortly after, the woman took the pot off the fire and set it between his legs. The pot is not full. Where is the rest? The man said. So he began to hint that she had helped herself to them in his absence. I saw the pot full. Now it is empty. But my husband, don't mushrooms shrink when they are cooked? But he wouldn't have it. You are lying, he said. Well, if they haven't shrunk, where are they? She asked. You have eaten them. No, my husband, I couldn't eat the food in your absence. But the man got very angry and said to her, You are a bad woman. You stole the mushrooms while I was away. I did not steal, the woman denied. They shrank in the boiling, but he wouldn't have it, so he took a stick and beat her to death. Then he told the people that his wife had died of starvation. As he had no other wives, he had to fend for himself. So one day he brought home some mushrooms and filled that same pot that his dead wife had used. He sat there and watched it boil, and when he took it off the fire, saw that the mushrooms had so shrunk that there was hardly anything left at the bottom of the pot, that pot which had been full to overflowing. The man was greatly startled. He began to tremble and cry, Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, this pot which I filled with mushrooms, now they have shrunk away. I killed my wife without reason. She did not steal. The mushrooms did shrink as she said, Oh dear, oh dear, I am the child of a foreigner. And since that day, they have put him on record as an example. Do not be in a hurry to accuse people of stealing. Any thoughts on this one? I'm so sorry, but I think it's quite drastic. But the first thing he thought to do was kill his wife. Yeah, that, that got me too. Well, Patty, that really got me too because believe it or not, when I first read this, I saw the title, right? I was really, really hoping that someone was going to go on some kind of psychedelic trip. Like, I was hoping that it would be one of those stories where 
<laughs> someone discovers the properties of mushrooms and then they'll be like oh guys you would not believe what i found in this afghan folklore and then it turns out to be this tragic 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 story um but yes you know it's it's an extreme it's an extreme but not too far from reality if you think about it in certain contexts and that's something we can unpack later um but let's let's go to laura this is such an incredible example because that story was really horrifying to hear about people, but I recognize the story right away because I know it is a tortoise story from Cameroon, in yeah. fact. And so um, it, it's so different when it's told about the greedy tortoise trickster who's always killing his family members. I mean, that's what tricksters do, right? right, right. But if, I've got the, that story right in front of me if people want to hear the, the tortoise version. It's not one of my hundred word stories, but it's it's pretty short. And 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 think about this when you listen to this one, because to me, that's what trickster stories do, these animals. Mm. It's funny. It's not or, or kind of funny. Is it funny? I don't even know now after hearing that human version, but here's the version about tortoise. Tortoise was hungry. He was always hungry. He lived with his mother. Tortoise would bring food to their house. His mother would cook the food and Tortoise would eat the food. And then his mother would eat the food that was left. Tortoise was always hungry and his mother was always hungry too. One day Tortoise went and fetched home seven baskets of greens. Cook the greens, mother said Tortoise and hurry up, please. I am hungry, I am very hungry. Mother Tortoise hustled and bustled and soon she brought the cooked greens out from the kitchen. There were now three baskets of greens and she put them on the table where Tortoise was waiting. Tortoise shouted, where are the rest of them? Tortoise then pounded his fist on the table. I brought home seven baskets of greens and I told you I was hungry. Bring me the other greens now. What other greens are you talking about, silly boy, said Mother Tortoise. Tortoise knew his mother must have eaten the other four baskets of greens and that made him angry. They argued back and forth and back and forth until Tortoise finally got so angry that he picked up a stone, hit her on the head, and killed her. Tortoise then ate the three baskets of greens, and he was still hungry afterwards. At least she won't be stealing my food anymore, he thought to himself. The next day, Tortoise went and brought home another seven baskets of greens. There was no more mother to cook for him, so Tortoise had to cook the greens himself. He put the seven baskets of greens in the pot. And when they were ready, he took them out. There were three baskets of greens. So Tortoise began to yell at the pot. You greedy <laughs> pot, he shouted. How dare you eat my greens? But then Tortoise thought some more and he understood what had happened. He had killed his mother for nothing. This made Tortoise feel so bad that he picked up the same stone, hit himself on the head and died. The moral of the story, not all baskets are the same. Be careful how you count. Mm. All right. So <laughs> I, I have a question. And the story is tragic. But has anybody noticed the thing about tricksters in African folklore and food? I, I feel like food is the, the motivator for pretty much all of their shenanigans. I'm thinking of Tortoise in this case, you know, even in the story where he flies, the birds borrow him wings and they fly to the sky. That was all about getting access to more food. 
you think about uh, Rakayana from uh, Zulu folklore and his thing was food. Like he ate everything in sight. And it, it just, that, that seems to be a thing. And it, this is an aside and I don't you know expect anybody to have an answer for me unless you actually do. But, um, <laughs> you know, that it, it's always, it always is about food for some reason, which food is important, right? Um, I see your comment, Alicia. It could also be a lesson about mushrooms and greens shrinking when you cook them. Indeed, indeed, right? These, it, this is, in a way, um, demonstrating that, you know, people were very observant. Obviously, people were very observant and they, they knew things, right? They knew how the world worked. And I see you, Laura, getting to you in a second here. Um, but something else that came up is the idea, again, um, if we go back to the story from the Ila people, the idea that the woman kind of knows how things work and a man is ignorant and ends up, you know, in trouble for his ignorance. Um, it's making me think of, and I forget where I read this, where, um, I mean, it even shows up in the folklore of the Gara people, where in many instances it's the women, because they are so observant, that notice, you know, how things work. It was not, not for the Dagara specifically, um, but I think it was some Middle Eastern culture, and I might be mixing things up here. It was women who first figured out the link between um, sex and babies because they were watching the animals closely, right? The men would go off to hunt, and the women were in the homesteads, and they would observe that, you know, this would happen, and then babies would pop out, and that this is how women first made the connection between sex and babies. And just other, other little things about how, you know, things move and things change and the men are ignorant you know and then some conflict arises and because the men don't know they they react in a way and then there's trouble um something very telling there something very telling there and like you said alicia jumping to conclusions you know jumping to conclusions is is a dangerous thing laura that's exactly what i was going to say is that you know tortoise was so interested in food but so ignorant of cooking and one of the really fascinating things to me about tricksters in the African tradition is that they often have wives who, who take care of things and, mm. and know how to do the things, even though tricksters are, are boastful and they think they know how to do everything and they, they act recklessly on, on, on their knowledge. They often do have wives like this or mothers mm -hmm. or children sometimes, uh, sons, often the son of trickster is actually the one with the real wisdom and, and out outsmarts his trickster father. And so that family circle around the trickster is, is really interesting. And, and the food theme helps to bring that out because food is a shared family mm -hmm. occupation and endeavor. And of course, in most African cultures, to have food and not share with others is just about the worst thing you could do. You know, um, the, the undercurrent is that we, we are one of each other. So we, we should take care of each other. So that's another way in which uh, tricksters are such great teaching tools because either through their cunning or through their ignorance, it's, they are a, a convenient mechanism to trans, you know, get, get information and ideas and values um, out to people. Um, but something you mentioned, Laura, which I, I think we should spend some time with, is the fact that for in many of these stories, it is the wife or the mother um, or the child, you know, some other person in the trickster's family that actually is the source of knowledge, right? And I, re when I heard that, you know, it, it struck me that on the, inside that is another lesson in that, you know, 
the people who are around you who share your life with you quite often have quite a bit of insight about you know what what really is going on and might be worth paying attention to um, not always there's always a caveat but because um, you are right you know in many of the trickster stories the the usually the wife or the mother and I'm glad you brought that up because in our next story it's another dynamic between a man and his mother um, which you know still involves food so we are going to stay with that apparently um, but just popping it open for anybody else in the room questions comments thoughts um, do you know a similar story from a culture that you're familiar with or anything like that reactions you know ideas anything that came up based on on hearing the story and I'm trying to go through and make sure that everybody has the ability to speak because I think we had quite a few people join and I've lost track of who can or can't speak but I think everybody should be good now if you can and you do want to speak please let me know well hey I had a, a quick question about the for or the story that that you read Helen um mm-hmm. did at the end did the um the husband say that he was now the son of a foreigner or mm-hmm. what can I was unfamiliar with that phrase. Is that like a, a common phrase for some meaning? Got it. That is an excellent question. Nate. Um, because from what I understand, doing some reading around uh, Ila people, they were very hostile to foreigners, right? Because they had a lot of cattle. And because they took care of their cattle, people were prone to, they were prone to being raided. So as a result of this, they became very fierce fighters, very proficient with spears, and they didn't use shields, so they became really good with those spears. But also very, very hostile to foreigners because everybody was suspect. So my thinking is that it, to be called the child of a foreigner in a context like that was indicative that you, know, you, you are not really one of the people. Um, because you have not behaved in a way that you know the people are known to behave, um, but also um, for many African peoples, you know there there is a strong sense of belonging to to clan, to family, to wider nations, people, and um, there was a lot of pride taken in that. There is still a lot of pride taken in that. Let me not speak as if this is no longer the case. It, it's something of great pride. I mean. You, it, it shows up even on social media. So to, to describe yourself as a son of a foreigner is basically, at least from what I understand, saying that you have behaved in a way that is just contrary to what your people believe and stand for. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I got it. I, I was just hadn't seen that before, and so I wasn't sure what it meant, but now I feel like I understand. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm glad you asked that question because it, Again, this is how we find out more. You know, you hear a turn of phrase and then you dig and you find, you know, a whole new way of seeing life underneath it. So, yeah, I'm glad you asked. Fatih? Yeah, your explanation is basically how I felt about it, too. But, like, basically him calling himself a bastard, for lack of a better word, basically. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah. And it's, you know, I don't know. It's probably a thing to in other parts of the world but i find it a very african thing where you know if if you are not feeling good about yourself or you are you know speaking to yourself you know 
condemning yourself for some some action you find the the one thing or the one way of being that your people just find reprehensible and you describe yourself as that so that's that's probably where where this comes from any other questions comments thoughts before we go to the very last story If not, we will keep going. All right. So to anyone who just joined us, we are reading from the Ela-speaking peoples of Northern Rhodesia. Um, Northern Rhodesia is an antiquated uh, way of referring to certain countries in Central Africa, Central South Africa. I mean, in this case, this is Zambia. So Ela people are found in present-day Zambia. The book is available um, on Internet Archive, the online library, and I have a link in the space to the book if you want to read, you know, read it for yourself. And it's great because it do- doesn't only have folklore, it also has um, information about the people out of whom the cultures come. So uh, we are going to get to the next story. And this one is called A Man and His Mother. And it starts on page 415 of the book, if you're reading along with us. A man and his mother were once in great difficulty for food and were reduced to going about from village to village begging. After a time, they went to live on an island in the river and there they were still worse off. They did not know how to find food. At last, the woman said to her son, Go and wander about among the villagers, and when you find an ox, bring it here. The man went off, and finding some cattle grazing, he drove off one and brought it to the river. Now the old woman had medicine, and when the man reached the river, he called to her, saying, Mother, strike the water. The woman took her medicine root, and it smote the water, so that the man and ox passed over a dry shot, and the river flowed on. The man killed the ox, cut it up, and giving his mother a bit of bone, ate the rest with his wife. The mother made no fuss, but kept quiet. When the meat was finished, he went to another place and stole an ox. But the herdsmen saw him and gave chase. He reached the river first with the ox and called to his mother as before, Mother, strike the water. The woman smote the water. The river divided allowing them to pass, and then joined up again. But once again, the man killed and cut up the ox and threw his mother a bone. My son, she said to him, you bring home an ox and eat all the meat with your wife, and to me you give only a bone. I, your mother, see your doings. That's the way with you, old woman, the man said, getting angry. You are never grateful for what you are given. His mother said no more. Not long after, the man went off to a place some distance away where the news of his slavery had not reached, and there he found many cattle, so he drove off too. The people saw him, raised an alarm, and chased him to the river. There he called his mother as before, Mother, strike the river. I will not strike it because you would not give me any meat, his mother answered. And so he remained there, and the villagers coming up found him and killed him.
talk about being served your just meats in this case, right? Just desserts, just meats. Any any thoughts on this story? Laura? Well, once again, it's so intense as a human story. So I'm imagining a version, you know, with with tortoise or rabbit or or some other trickster because the tricksters love to steal things too. And and in that case, it probably would have made me laugh, you know, is like mm. tortoise, you know, trying to cross the river with his cattle and his mother knows better and she's not going to help him. But as a human story, it's just so right. much more intense. <laughs> right. And it's interesting that you say that, Laura, about a trickster story because there is there is a story from one of the books from the Central African people, and I forget who. It's either the Hazarai or um, it's either the Fuchs collection or one of the others where it's a similar thing, right? Um, the the trickster in this case, I can't remember if it was a tortoise or the hare, but it's a similar situation. Um, they, he had... I think it was a crocodile who could swim. I forget. I think we've read that story in one of our sessions. I'm going to track it down um, when we're done here. But it's a similar thing where he, he goes off and steals food and doesn't share with the, the other creatures that he recruited to go steal with him. And so um, I think it was like getting a tree to fling them across the river or something away from the lady who was chasing them to catch them for stealing her food. And in, in one case, um, the, the he basically would, I think he had a situation where they would tie both trees down. So you know how you can like, in the cartoons, you pin a coconut or a tall tree down and then you cut a rope and the, the force of the release flings you across the river. And so he would go and make sure that his own sling sling was working and the other animals wasn't. So he would get tossed off to safety and this other animal would remain back and get caught. And he did that a couple of times, but then the animals got hip to him. So they, you know, flipped on him and they basically left him in a situation where he got caught. Um, so I'll, I'll find that story and share it. But yes, there is a trickster version of this, which makes absolute sense because they tend to be the ones in these these weird situations involving food, always involving food for sure. And definitely respect your mother, right? <laughs> because when you think about it in any African culture, you know, any global culture, um, making sure that the elderly are taken care of is, is something of a priority. So to have a situation where, you know, especially if the person is helping you and then you throw them a bone, that you know, in many cultures, that's literally bringing a curse down on you on yourself, right? Especially if it's the, the mother speaking it against you. So definitely that aspect in the story of respect for the elderly talkless of your mother. Um, very, very well stated, Arisha. Uh, any, any other questions, thoughts, reactions to this story? If not, we might be able to sneak in one more because we have, what, like 15 minutes left. So I'm going to go through real quick. And what's great about this book is that the, the stories are broken down. So you have animal stories and a lot of the animal stories are basically how, you know, ways in which the people creatively explained why things are the way they are. So there's like why the zebra has no horns and 
why the elephant has no hair and things like that. So there, there are those kinds of stories. And then there are human stories, um, usually about conflict from what I can see so far, but also just, you know, people's follies. Um, but I found one, how two men had a dispute, you know, we're going to stick with our theme of conflict and how to get away with murder or not, then maybe we should read this one, right? It's on page 410 of the book. And let's see how far we get here. The story of how two, of two men who had a dispute. The two men started off, one with a dog and the other with a pot. When they got into the veld, he who had the dog killed an animal. He with the pot said, let us cook and eat. And when they had done cooking, they ate. Then the dog got into the pot to lick it out, and when he wanted to withdraw his head, it was stuck. The owner of the pot said, Friend, my pot will not be broken. Your dog is stuck fast in my pot. Come and take him out. I cannot manage the dog, the owner of the dog said. Well, as you cannot manage the dog, let us cut off his head so that it may come out of the pot. My friend, which is more valuable, the dog or the pot? My pot is the more valuable. All right, said the owner of the dog, cut away. And so the owner of the pot took an axe and cut the dog's head off. When he had cut off his head, he, brought, he took his pot and found it was not broken. So he brought water and washed out the blood. And then when he was done washing, he brought some string, tied it, put it on his shoulder and went off to the village. The owner of the dog also went to the village. When he arrived at the village, the owner of the dog found his child sick and he thought, a person who has the pot. His child took my brass bracelet that one time. So he ran quickly and went there. On arrival, he said, my friend, give me my bracelet. They called the girl, but the bracelet refused to come off her arm, for it had been put on a long time ago when she was a child, and now she was grown into a maiden. Well, as it refuses to come off, let us cut off the hand. My friend, don't cut off the hand, the child's father said. Let us rather give you another bracelet. I don't want another bracelet. I want this bracelet. This is my bracelet. Which is more of consequence, the child's father asked, the bracelet or the hand of the child? But the man refused, saying, as for me, it is my bracelet, this bracelet that I want. So the father of the child said, take an axe, cut off the hand. And when he had cut it off, the bracelet came away, and he took his bracelet, saying, this is the hand of your child. Join it up. Let us now see how you will join it. You cut my dog's head off. And so he took the bracelet and went to divine for his child who was sick. When he reached the diviner, the oracle said, dig up some medicine and your child will recover. So he came back, dug the medicine, gave it to her, and she recovered. Any thoughts on this one? Kind of an abrupt ending there. It's a dilemma tale, right? I mean, this is one of those ones we could sit about and, and discuss for hours because that's kind of the point of a dilemma tale, right? Mm -hmm. is that, mm -hmm. is, is there's it no answer here. And, and what, what these stories usually would, would do is you someone would tell the story and then people would spend hours, you know, debating, you know, the choices, the morality of it. Very much like you would have, you know, in ancient Greece or Rome or all these other places, you know, a story would come up and people would argue and out of these arguments and discussions will come the moral philosophy of the people right and so 
this this dilemma tales as that's like the official name is a way in which and if i if i remember correctly dilemma tales are unique to african people are these the type of tales laura it's not so much that they're unique but they are uh, it's unique that so many cultures in africa have a specific name for them Mm -hmm. you know as a type of of tale and so anthropologists call them dilemma tales to sort of unify it across Africa but culture after culture has its own way to describe this particular type of story and and there's that book by Bascom I can share it after the Twitter that collects literally thousands Mm -hmm. of these stories from across Africa these dilemma tale type stories and he tells them just in little one or two sentence summaries so it'll all fit in the book you know but it is just fascinating right and and what's important here is that again the people who say African peoples have no you know philosophy or things like that it is because they they were short sighted right they weren't seeing the fact that the the the, the approach was just different right people didn't sit and write tomes you know the way Europeans would do tomes about you know debating arguments it was more a, di- a, a dialogue that would happen. Um, amongst men, amongst friends, amongst children, using riddles, using these dilemma tales. And this is how how many peoples came about with their, their approach to living, right? Um, there, there is the, the famous, well-known image of, you know, men in north um, northwestern Africa, like Mali and Gambia, where they would sit under these trees. You know, that's where that iconic image of African people sitting under a baobab tree um, and they would go for hours, you know, telling these stories, arguing. And it is from these sessions that people came out with a sense of, okay, this is the right way to do things. This is not the right way to do things. These are the moral, the, the gray areas of, of, of the issue. And this is, this is how we lived. And this is something which, um, because of colonization and the introduction of all these different ways of, of being, we have lost to some extent, right? Not to say that it still doesn't happen, but that's changing fast, right? Because if you are working nine to five, you know, you don't exactly have time to, to go back and sit. But then it persists in, in other cultures. For example, one I can think about, um, and this, you know, it's becoming, you know, people hanging out in bars and the like. But in Cameroon, for example, Cameroon, where I'm from, the palm wine houses, right, became a, a, a setting for these things because they, they were a place where the men would gather, drink palm wine together and talk about politics for example and in one case in the northwest region where I come from it is out of these palm wine houses that people basically organize themselves to take on the, 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 the colonial, the British colonial um, administrators and the, the I think it was the Fulani who they had allied themselves with to control people in the area. And out of that came like the township of Bamenda, which is the town where I was born, and so much more. And there's this fascinating history around that whole whole environment of people getting together to drink, telling stories, arguing, probably bringing in the, the, the politics that was relevant to them at the time. And out of that, a resistance movement came. So and and Laura, you you and I were, were messaging about this earlier, where we find that because of you know the the way that education is approached, these other ways of learning and and processing information are underlooked. But they in in many many cultures they they really got things done. You know, they got people to get arrive at consensus and you know help movements 
gain some traction and might be something worth you. And I know that it is happening because we were having that conversation out of a, a, a series of meetings that you have participated in. Um, how, you know, in college campuses, for example, you know, there's, there's this prioritizing a way of learning, which, you know, if there was more space, perhaps all these other ways in which people processed and understood information could be used. Do you, do you want to talk a bit about that, Lauren? Well, exactly. You know, this idea of using stories and storytelling in general, but also this idea of an, of an open-ended story is, is a kind of alien idea in a lot of Western cultures. But that's kind of the point here is that the, the story exists to provoke the discussion. Like, that's why you're telling the story. It's not just there is this story that's a, a sort of inert artifact, and then we're going to talk about it afterwards. No, the, the whole point of the story is the discussion that comes with it. You know, in a, so in a sense, to put these dilemma tales in books is always kind of sad because the, it, that's, that's not the whole story. The whole story should include the discussion. So modern anthropologists write these beautiful books where they're, you know, in the situation and, the, and they include the conversation and the dialogue that goes around the story. But in these older books, like this one by it's a missionary and a, a, a colonial official that, that collected these stories and put them in the, the book about the Baila people. They didn't have that sense of the discussion itself being so important and worthwhile to put in a book. Yeah. And, and this is making me think um, about the conversation I had at Urban NerdCon. And I think this was, might have been with you, Alicia, or maybe with the other ladies we were on the panels on, where it, it was a statement like, you know, sometimes you read African stories and they just end. <laughs> You know, and you're thinking, wait, that's it. You know, but usually that is the case. It's reacting to a situation and it's leaving space open for discussion to be had. So if, if you're not aware of this, then you sometimes you don't even know what you're reading. And I, I know for a fact that sometimes I started reading the stories and I'd go, wait, this is it. What What's going on here? And it wasn't until I was introduced to the concept of a dilemma tale or just African storytelling um, approaches that things started to make more sense. But then that, that offers to us in modern times, you know, powerful ways of using storytelling to, to not just communicate ideas, but to trigger discussions and to give traction to, to movements if, we, if that's the direction we're going in. So just something to keep in mind. Um, but yeah, any questions, thoughts, reactions? We have just about six minutes left here. I want to make sure that if anybody has any thoughts to share, um, where we're capturing those. Checking through the comments. Um, Leah, I see you, your network acting up. I'm so sorry, but, you know, that, that happens. There are times when I start reading a story and then I can't continue because I can't refresh the page. So you have, you have our sympathy here. We have those issues. Um, Alicia, lots of issues, repercussions for your choices. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, wondering why he made such drastic choices. Um, you know, who knows, girl? Like, and, and that's something that comes up too. Like, sometimes you read these stories and you're like, why would he give his mother a bone? Like, what kind of callous nonsense is that? You know, and sometimes it's just to tell the story. But, you know, we, we are all familiar with the dimensions of human wickedness. And sometimes that's just what's being represented in the story, right? That people can be really mean and evil and selfish um, but then usually these stories are cautionary tales to say hey this is not how you want to be because your evil deeds will come back to haunt you as they say so 
yeah, yeah. Uh, four more minutes here. Any last minute reactions, thoughts, questions before we wrap up for the day? And speaking of Anansi Book Club, if you're not aware, Laura and I run a book club where every week, we well, every month, we have a selection of stories and people vote on what they want to read. And then every week, we read one book. And how we do it is that for each month, there are three books, um, short illustrated books, one each week, three of those. And then for the fourth week, a whole collection, excuse me, of stories. So this is our, what? third fourth fifth month in this Laura yeah I think it's yeah it must be our fourth month I guess I'm numbering them but I'm not good at figuring out how many months it is a few months you have so much going on to begin with so this is our fourth let's say it's our fourth month in it and we are reading um the hat seller the hat seller and the monkeys by Baba Wagwe Diakite who I think is who you were just talking about. And he has another story about uh, a man and crocodiles, which I think we have read that story here in, Anans- in uh, uh, the, the, the Twitter space before. Um, and that was another one that provoked a lot of discussion. So read along with us for Anansi Book Club. Um, it's, it's, the books are great. The illustrations are, are lovely. And it's just a great way to, especially at the end when it's a collection, to immerse yourself in the storytelling traditions of either one particular people or from across, you know, across the, the, the African continent. Um, and uh, so a Nancy book club, uh, that's, that's one thing that's going on. And we'll be back next Friday, as usual, 6 p.m. Eastern time for another Twitter space. And we'll, we'll read, you know, stories from another people's um, Thank you for being here this evening. I really appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed not just the stories, but the discussions around them. Hope you learned something new. And um, I will see you all next week, same time. In the meantime, please be careful, be safe, and just love on yourselves, love your people. I am so glad you all were able to join. All right. Thank you all so much. Have a good evening and goodbye. If you'd like to participate in these discussions, please follow Mythological Africans on Twitter at Mythic Africans and set a reminder for Friday evenings at 5 p.m.